0: Welcome back to the Black Letter podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business, and I think we've done it. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset that was originally used in the Gutenberg press. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. Everything else was printed in regular type. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify black letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. All right. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us on Black Letter Law, Black Letter Podcast. Today with me in the studio, I've got Roy Morris. Roy Morris. Attorney for more than 42 years, advising closely held non public businesses about how to start, uh, run, and be successful in business uh, from a legal perspective and uh, how to sell your business. And then I also have with me Justin Bamford, who's been practicing law for 14 years, mergers and acquisitions, corporate law, uh, kind of the stuff Roy does. And so I'm going to kick the show off after that short introduction with a question for both of you guys that. I have wondered about actually, because um, when I see uh, law firm websites and I see your bios, I see M and A, and I know it stands for mergers and acquisitions. To me, that sounds like Coca Cola is buying Pepsi. But what does an M and A lawyer do? What does that mean? Oh, it's well, thanks for having us. First of all,
1: but yeah, any any, any kind of transactional work uh, we do. Uh... Any kind of buying and selling of businesses, usually it's, it can be very small operations, just rolling up acquisitions, buying smaller companies, to even selling your company and getting ready for sale. And we include, some M&A work can include investment from outside investors, you know. Any Is kind. part of it that you like saying M&A because it sounds
0: kind of fancy? I mean, if you're like a business lawyer, you know, it sounds fancy. Yeah, kinda, well... But if you're an M&A lawyer, well... So so Roy and I are not
1: exclusively M&A lawyers where we don't do exclusively transactions. We're kind of general corporate counsel. We help our clients through all phases of their business. Starting it from scaling it to exit. And exit is really when the M&A comes in. We have those capabilities. But yeah, uh, some people, there are M&A attorneys that exclusively do transactions. They're hired guns that come in to get a transaction complete.
0: So you guys um, are are not the hired guns. You are the long term relationship lawyers. Is that what I'm getting?
1: Yes.
2: Okay.
0: Because well, so I know Roy. You are one of the the main members. I guess the firm is uh, that you're with Dunlap Bennett lundwig is a a, f- a uh, what is it called a sponsoring sponsor. a sponsoring member for more than twenty years of Washington D.C.
2: EO. What what is EO? Entrepreneurs Organization is okay. a, Is a global organization. Of entrepreneurs, you must have started your own business um, in order to join, and you must be at a certain revenue level. Um, What's the revenue level? Well, right now it's at a million dollars. Okay. So is that a million in annual revenue, revenue to join? Yes. Okay. Right, minimum. And you have to be in a certain age cohort. But as the organization gets older, we keep moving. <laughs> we keep moving the. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It used to be YEO, right? Yeah, Roy? it was founded as Young Entrepreneurs Organization. It's a peer-to-peer support group, really. A bunch of entrepreneurs got together, and they were friends, and one of them committed suicide. Oh, gosh. And the others asked, well, what? where do we fail? Uh, because entrepreneurs can't talk, tell all their problems to everyone. They can't talk to their subordinates about it, necessarily. They might not wanna talk to their spouse or significant other. Um, There's a lot of stresses involved in being an entrepreneur. And the organization was actually founded uh, to give entrepreneurs an outlet for their concerns. So the heart of the experience is the forum experience. It's a group of eight peer-to-peer monthly meetings in a gestalt environment where you are not allowed to give advice you are allowed to ask questions. But a theory is that nobody wants to be told what to do. You got to solve your own problems, but you would benefit from having multiple perspectives. So peer-to-peer support is the essence of it, but they have a lot of learning events. The DC chapter is the one that we're active in, and that has about 150 members.
0: Great. So uh, let's talk about business a little bit. So when we, Justin, you talked about you represent businesses from start to scale to exit so can you tell me kind of what what is what is the difference between start scale and exit i mean i understand start and exit beginning and end scale is necessarily based on where you put it in our conversation in the middle but what does that look like for a business and what do you do what is a lawyer's job in those things
1: so roy and i and roy's been my mentor for those 14 years that we discussed earlier but uh we, we help from the very inception inception of a, an idea that turns into a business, that turns into hopefully a profitable business. Okay, And then, you know, exit is, you know, can be, depending on the context, can be years, if not decades away for some clients. But yeah, we have a great group of clients, a lot that Roy has uh, cultured from um, entrepreneurs organizations. But it's a great group of really energetic, fun, motivated guys that will email you at 2 a.m. with their new mm-hmm. business idea. I want to come in the next day and discuss it. So say I email you with my new business idea at 2 a.m.
0: And I say, hey, Justin, hey, Roy, I copy you or I BCC you because I don't want to embarrass Justin by copying his mentor directly. So I BCC Roy and I say, Justin, I'm going to start a, this is a DC area thing, an IT consulting company in government contracting. And my partner is a veteran. And I want to get every contract I can get by using that to the best. And, and I, I say this, not tongue in cheek. I'm a, I'm a, as you know, I'm a veteran myself and have many veteran friends. I was an army officer, but, and I'm not going to do this for real, not starting an IT company, but asking you hypothetically, if I wanted to do that, and that's my email to you, I think I can make money. My partner's got a lot of connections at the army Navy club. What do I need
1: to do? Yeah. So we'd say, sounds interesting. You know, and we'd invite you in. To meet. Thanks. Yes. That's yes. my, that's my yes.
0: um, slack back
1: to you. Yeah. We'd, uh, we'd invite you in and we'd, we'd really want to drill down on what your business will be. And you have to identify what, you know, how you're going to differentiate yourself in the market, what your market will be, what your audience will be you know, what your costs are to get this off the ground. What, you know, every- are
0: you saying I need to make a business plan before I start a business? Yeah. This sounds you know,
1: suspiciously like work. It sounds like the 20th okay. century, to uh, write a business plan, but you know, everything's on PowerPoint now, but yes, you need a plan of what your business will be. Okay. And, you know, and you need to identify all the steps it'll take to get to that business. And, you know, for some companies- So what about the legal stuff though? I don't need that until I have the plan. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that's a question.
0: Right. Do, I mean- Should I get my company started and formed, or should I plan first? I
2: mean, Roy, I don't know. I think the business uh, horse needs to draw the legal cart. Okay. So I'd say- The business
0: horse. Yeah. What color is the business horse?
2: It's whatever color you want it. Is, is. it a Clydesdale? <laughs> it can be. Okay. I'm just
0: wondering. So that works. I'm for, trying to picture that my works business for horse. someone.
2: Does it wear like a little hat, like a fedora? I mean, They'll I, I feel it's green.
1: A well, business well, horse, Mr. Green. You want a green business I, horse? Okay. I'd say
2: definitely. You got to have a business idea. You got to have a plan. You got to have a team, um, and then we talk about wrapping that in some kind of structure. Okay. Because really, that's what the the lawyer is going to help you do is put some structure around it.
0: Well, so if if I give you guys a hypothetical structure, can you kind of tell me what you would do? Sure. Something that's sort of, again, a common, okay, we're an IT consulting company. My partner is a service-disabled veteran, and we're going to hire a whole bunch of, this is our plan. I'm not saying that it's right or wrong, but our plan is, because we think it makes us money, a whole bunch of contractors in in the technical space. We're experts in full-stack development javascript php all kinds of web development and we think there's a really good niche in the government space where my hypothetical self not my real self used to work for us to pitch into some some of the
1: contracts i've worked on in the past um
0: right so the, what, would, what would what would we do
1: right so the the idea is now now we're going to be a government contracting company we're going to be service-stabled veteran-owned set yeah. aside So that means we're contracts. We're gonna have to have at least fifty one percent owned by the service disabled veteran guy. Okay, forty nine percent probably the other guy. So we do. We have dozens and dozens of companies that do this. You'd come in. You say now that's our business idea, and we'd say okay. Well, what kind of structure would best serve that? If you're going to be a service disabled veteran owned small business, then you just need to be an LLC.
0: More likely. And so, when would I ever want to be not an LLC? Because I feel like. The LLC is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. You see it on television. You see it on the internet. Like be an LLC, $55 LLC.
1: So uh, LLCs are great in that they're flexible. You, okay. can, you can you can craft them to be what you really need. So they're the gymnasts of the corporate world? Oh, if you want a That's trademark. A trademark. <laughs> I like that. I think that uh, so, so the only companies or founders that I really say skip the LLC route is if they are really going to go after VC or angel financing in Silicon Valley. Okay, and they really just want to jump from the get-go into big institutional financing, and they got a tech app. You know, they're going to create the next
0: whatever. So, what the should next... they be? What should so if I if I'm I'm no longer so you that know, guy. I'm now I got a tech app, and I'm going to Silicon Valley, and my tech app it's got to be something cool. It controls automated robot vacuum cleaners. Okay. Yep. Talk That's to what each it other. does. That. Yep. And they talk wirelessly to each other, and multiple automated robot vacuum cleaners they, clean they su- your house. They suck
1: up bitcoins as they're going.
0: Ooh. And they <laughs> no, they they actually process bitcoins. There's a server on the vacuum cleaners that processes and mines bitcoins while it vacuums. Okay. This so, is my app.
1: So and d- don't
0: steal my idea, listeners. Anybody? So okay. The
1: business plan. Now you wh- can have it. What's it going to take to create? Uh, Bitcoin sucking up robots, it's going to take more than $10, right? Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're thinking $50 million. So $50 million. So if, if that's what it's going to take to even get a minimum viable product, an MVP out there, you're going to need $50 million of money. That means you're going to have to pitch people that have $50 million to invest in great ideas like that. They're not going to invest in a Virginia LLC. They want to invest in a Delaware C Corp. Okay. Why
0: Delaware? Because- Well, so, couple questions, and maybe you guys can just tell me where I'm asking the wrong questions. If I'm starting my IT consulting company, or my dog walking company, or my Silicon Valley, I need fifty million dollar company. Why wouldn't I be Delaware for all of those?
1: Well, Delaware is overkill for the dog walking company or the babysitting company. It's just it's it's extra fees. You know, you're gonna have two levels of fees. You're gonna have Delaware and whatever state you're operating in. What makes Delaware special then? Why would I ever do Delaware? Well, so in the Silicon Valley, you know, tech funding route, Mm -hmm. there's a pre-packaged formula for all of this. It looks really impressive if you produce a lot of documents, but it's really very formulaic. It's all built off one model set of laws and one model set of documents. Gotcha. That's what Delaware helps for, for startups. If you're a Fortune 500 company, you want Delaware laws that have certain advantages for management. Okay. Yep. But, uh... Really, you know, really, absent those two circumstances, even if you expect to get to this, you know, VC-funded round in the future, you can always start off as a is an LLC. So you can convert later. Oh if yeah, you're absolutely. an LLC when you start. Yeah, we do that for a lot of Series A rounds. We we flip them from an LLC. Well, so LLC. what's a Series A round? That's just a pr- first price round of equity for a startup company. So the first time they get outside money, so this is... Not the first time they get outside money, but usually the first time it's priced. So, okay. you know, so they've actually proven their concept, mm-hmm. they proved a the revenue model, and now we need to scale it. And we need money, usually from marketing and advertising, to scale the business. That's usually where you go get money from a VC and they do an A round of financing. And that's when you might look at Delaware for some of those other business models. Like right.
0: if my dog walking company becomes a multi-state, you know, massive... 400 employee dog walking company. I might want to be Delaware.
1: Right. Like at that you, point. Like if you're going to be the, uh, the sitter city or the platform by which you, you know, you outsource and arrange dog walking. Dogville. I Dogville. think it would be Dogville. Yeah, then you know, then you'd look, you know, how do I get market out there because you know, customer acquisition is what you'd really be concerned about because okay. you're you're gonna, somebody else is going to have the same idea. And so, you know, if you've got a model that works and you need to put 10 million dollars behind it, then you probably go maybe to an A round of Silicon Valley money. Okay, so when I'm looking at taking money from other people, Roy, you've seen this
0: for 42 years, what should I be worried about?
1: Well, they're going to say no. The,
2: well, <laughs> <laughs> well, that I'm not worried about. No, no, no. My, not, da- my idea is amazing. That is actually not what happens. What happens is you approach your friends and family and they say, yes, yes. And they get so excited. And then when it comes time for you to actually get the check from them, Oh, I'm thinking I'm getting divorced oh, I need to pay my taxes you'll oh, I need to pay college tuition so it, all real things raising money is so much harder than you think it is right and friends and family don't want to say no to you but they say yes 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 but then they don't write the check okay that is the universal experience of mankind okay so that's not fun nope um
0: so the fun part say say that I I get the check from some of them, enough of them yes. to make a half-baked half, half baked start or half-assed start, whatever it is, a partial start to my company. And I get it going and I'm lucky enough to make my Dogville successful or R- Roomba Bitcoin vacuum bot land. I think that's probably a trademark problem, but whatever. My vacuum cleaning Bitcoin miners, they're successful enough. Like I have a prototype, I have yes. some sales. Uh, if I take money not from well, so first, I'm curious, do I want my friends and family as my business partners? Is there a way to avoid that if I take their money? because um, that would be I, I don't necessarily want to be in business with my my aunt um, even if she gives me a check, which actually oddly has happened to me personally. Uh, but and I love my aunt. but point is if I don't want to be in business with them, is there a way to avoid that through my brilliant lawyers? Can you guys? Make sure that I can get the money and not
2: give away my right
0: to say what how I build my vacuum dog sitting company.
2: Well, I had one uh, company that raised money, friends and family round, Mm -hmm. and then they put in a five year um, call right uh, because they expected to be a raging success in five years. Right, Um, and the so they had provided in their documents that look after five years we will buy you out. Now, okay. It turns out that they were, like most businesses, a gradual success. Um, they refer to themselves not as serial entrepreneurs or tech entrepreneurs or whatever, but stubborn entrepreneurs. And after 25 years, they actually did become an overnight success. So it's an overnight of
0: 25 years, it was like a rip van winkle overnight. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yes. So.
1: I'd say friends and family money is, can be the best and the worst. I mean, obviously, you're taking on responsibilities for loved ones, friends mm-hmm. and family. You'll lose their investment. You're going to feel worse to nobody else in the world than to your own family to losing their money. On the plus side, though, they may be the ones to last, ask you the least questions. They may be the ones to say yes multiple times if you have multiple raises you need to do. They, you know, They may be like Roy's example willing to walk away once it's a success. So they've, you know, they've endured the risk of equity and then they let you take away the, the upside. That's nice. Yes. That would be good. That's, that's a very friendly friends and family there.
0: Well, what other funding mechanisms are there then besides, say, say I have no friends besides you guys and you're not giving me money, and I have no family, uh, just hypothetically no family. Um, where would I go for money or what are my other options? Can I borrow money from a bank to start my business or get money from some company somewhere
2: to buy some equity? Startup. Now, bear in mind, we're talking now about startup funding. Okay. Yeah, startup funding. Okay. So banks, no, forget it. Okay. Now, if you want to take out a home equity line on your house, yes, of course. And frankly, that is about the best place you can get money. It's the cheapest. Okay. Now, let's assume you have... $250,000 of equity and you're willing and your spouse is also willing to risk it on yes. my dogville. Venture. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I would say, you know, that's one of the first places I look to fund a startup business. Okay.
1: I want you uh, let's step back a second. You can talk about, you know, why you're raising money and if there, you know, if if there's thoughts behind trying to, you know, bootstrap as much as you can, lower your costs as much as you can you know, trying to, you know, your first goal should not be just to go out and raise money. Okay. I mean, your goal should be to get to your, to prove your concept, prove your business idea and to get there, frankly, as cheaply as you can at first, because whatever money you either put in yourself or you raise is going to be extremely expensive. I mean, in terms of equity, in terms of investment, in terms of risk, it's going to be extremely expensive to you. So if you can manage all those things from the get go, especially in a startup situation, you know, this kind of lean startup idea, right? It's really what you should be after. And, you know, going back to Roy's business plan idea, you know, to the extent you can really focus on, you know, what your key metrics are going to be, or your key drivers of growth, or, you know, what's going to make the success and put all your effort behind that that's really going to be what's going to make, you know, a business successful. So you're saying focus on making the business work and not
0: getting money. I mean, you need money for the business, but your focus should be the business right. ultimately instead of the money.
1: Well, I've I've had another another number of clients that just really get focused on raising money and, you know, and not trying to see what they could do themselves first. Gotcha. And you know, I I don't like I don't like it when people stumble over and over and over about trying to find money when, you know, look, if you If you need to, you know, learn how to do, if you need, if you need the money, so what are you raising money for, right? If you're going to raise the money for marketing, try to figure out some marketing yourself. Okay. You know, learn how to do SEO, learn how to do some of these things. That makes
0: sense. I get that. Thank you to our sponsor today, Dunlap, Bennett & Ledwig. Dunlap, Bennett & Ledwig solves complex business problems with smart solutions, acting as advocates and advisors to their clients with diverse professional backgrounds from MBAs to PhDs To bankers, to military officers, real-world experience for real-world problems. Dunlap, Bennett, and Ludwig doing better law. To find out more, visit www.dbllawyers.com. So what about the the middle parts? We've talked about the start. What about the scaling? So when we're talking about scaling, is that when we're talking about Series A, Series B,
1: outside money? Well, That's what you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, so obviously the goal of any business is to make profits, right? And so all this, you know, the series A, all these kind of rounds of financing are really to get you to profitability. And then once you've got to profitability, you can make, you know, a reasoned informed decision about whether you need to raise more money to put, you know, gas on the fire and really, you know, market more, leverage it up or just grow organically. So so my, my dogville
0: business in this scenario, I am now hypothetically i'm in three cities i'm in arlington and ashburn and i'm in uh prince william county manassas i've got three sites and i want to go now into i want to go up to the east coast i want to go into maryland i think there's a good market uh there and then maybe up into to new
1: york um kind of the suburbs there yeah so if dogville if you if you had if you had done this bootstrapped it yourself you had you know not taken any money you just mm-hmm. you know learned out you know some clients learn how to cook. You learned how to do all this. I stuff. learned how to cook the, yes. figure it out myself. Right. You figured it all out yourself. And now okay. you've got something you can actually take to investors and prove them. and should give them metrics, prove the concept. Okay. You've shown it all them. Then if you're raising money at that point, it's going to be so much easier. When do I know when I have that? I mean, I'm
0: making some money now, right? My hypothetical and, and disclaimer,
1: uh, I don't
0: know if dog bill is a real thing. So if it is, <laughs> uh, it just bears no resemblance to anything.
1: Well so Dale. so at that point, anyway. you know, you've got three, you know, territories that you're doing well in. You know, you have to figure out what is the cost to go to the, the marginal territory after that. Okay. If it's if it's negligible, then why wouldn't you? You know, if you're if you've got the money, if you got the, the cash flow, go to the next one. If it's actually looking like you're going to need, you know, money to to set up a new location, then you, you'll know. So say I do, and this is the hard part of the conversation. This sure. is where I always get and mix it up with clients a
0: little bit. I own 100% of Dogville and I want to do three more locations. I'm in three, but I want to double that because I know done my market studies and I know if I go into Montgomery County and three locations there and maybe one in DC, in Northwest DC, That I'm going to triple my revenue by doubling the size of my business because I've got economies of scale. I've got a headquarters. My business plan is good. The challenge is I need about a million dollars of capital to sign those leases, do the build outs the way I want to do them, and to get the personnel on site to staff up quickly to make it profitable like that. Now, my business is busy, but I don't have a million dollars in free cash and I need to go to raise money. Now, I am the owner and I don't want to give up control, but you know, my business is probably making me $250,000 a year after I pay everything. It's not making me a million bucks, but I don't want to give up more than half my business. I want to I give up 10% to get that million dollars. Can I do that?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, the, I mean, what you're going after is you'd rather own all, you know, 90% of a watermelon than 100% of a grape, right? I mean, you'd rather own, a, you know, you'd rather own a smaller chart chunk of a much bigger company. And giving up equity at that point maybe is makes sense to get to the next. So, workers. if I give up the equity, though, I don't want to lose control. So, can, okay. we, can we do that? Yeah, absolutely. You can do something with voting agreements, with shareholders' agreements, with, in the bylaws, with the number of board seats. Okay. You can do something with your employment contract to make sure you, you can't be ousted. There's a lot of legal protections to make sure, and especially in that circumstance. Anti ouster provisions. Is yes. that what they're called? Not yeah. formally. I think we should call them that. I like oh, that. We could, we, could record. we could trademark that. I don't know, but I yeah. So mixed. if, if you've, if you've gotten to that, s- to that point though, where you've got a profitable business mm-hmm. and you're just trying to really scale it then, then, you know, you're going to look at money that you need to do that, but you're also going to looking at how you can replicate yourself. So if, you know, why are the first three locations successful? Is there, if they're successful, because you're on the ground driving from meeting to meeting sales meeting. Then how are you going to do that in the next three locations? Okay. So thinking through those kind of things, and if you decide that money is what you want to do, then you could actually maybe go to a bank and borrow. Maybe you could do an equity round. But yeah, there's certainly legal protections to keep your job intact. Okay.
0: So Roy, um, what are your thoughts about my expansion plans? What do, what do I not know? I don't know what I don't know. But you're my you're my lawyer. Your are lawyer.
2: Yeah. Well, so here's him. here's one thing: is that Um, You know, they say that we promote ourselves up to our level of incompetence, right? Um, That's scary. So the question is, you may be great at energizing and leading and forming a brand new company, but you may not know how to manage when things get out of hand. Okay. The the $1 million number is actually a bit of a threshold. There are plenty of people that can manage a million, start, Uh energize, and get up to a million in revenue or so, and then they don't have the skills to manage to scale the business. Interesting. So I want you to ask yourself: Do you really do you have what it takes, or are you one of these um, highly ADD uh, type of energetic persons, which a whole lot of entrepreneurs
0: are? Between my vacuum Bitcoin company and my dog company, maybe. Yes. Because I'm trying to do and, two things at once. And it's
1: actually it's to create a successful company from the startup, you know, stage from the embryonic stage and grow it, you are going to have your hands on every piece of the business. You're going to own every piece of the business and know all of it inside and out. Now, when you transition to scaling it, you're going to have to start delegating more responsibilities and, you know, managing more. And so sometimes it is a very tough transition. And so, you know, we, Roy and I do put in a lot of like employee equity plans, employee profit sharing plans. Is that to motivate? Right. So, you know, once other, you've got to kind of, you know, leverage yourself, leverage your experiences and your So skills, you can
0: replicate yourself with right. the kind of a stock incentive plan
1: without giving away the
0: right the whole enchilada. Right, right. absolutely. Away part of the enchilada, and, you know, and, you know meat, <laughs> maybe, or the, the lettuce part.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, with, with the right employees, this can work and with the wrong employees and won't work. So it's, it, it really is taking, you know, the next step. Okay. Well, how how do I sell my business? Who do I, my business, you guys
0: helped me and I was able to, uh, open up six locations and, uh, I don't have a buyer, but I would like to sell it because I have now aged into my, I, I guess I'm in my dotage and, um, I'd like to just vacation a little bit. Um, focus on the robot company focus on the robot bitcoin company but so yeah so let's talk about that seriously though cuz that's a thing that a startup business wants to know hey are you, you're going to be there for me from startup and scaling to finish but what is what is my
2: exit plan how do i sell it right well i'm a strong believer that you should have an exit plan when you start your business so is now, that maybe the first thing i need like no this- you don't not the first thing but you should always be running and growing your business with the intention to sell it, even if you never sell it. Okay. Because the kinds of things that you have to do to make a business marketable and valuable in the marketplace are the same kinds of things you need to do to run a good, solid, sustainable business that can run without you. Because that is the key element of value in a company. It has to be able to run without you.
0: Yeah. So that's so that's a nice convenient parallel then that those two things are the same. Um, so do good business to have a good business. Correct. Kind of the the watchword.
1: No, so no, as Roy I mentioned the companies that get stuck at a million dollars of revenue. The problem is they'll have one founder CEO who is Everything. He's micromanaging everything.
0: And that's painful and for everybody. It's
1: painful for the people under him, but it's also painful for himself because yeah. there's no way he can step back. He's the guy that can't take vacations. He's the guy that's working can't get around out of his the block. He's the guy that's having yeah. marital problems. He's the guy that really cannot step out of his own way and step back and let, you know, other people rise up. And you know, that's he's gonna have the he's gonna be the guy that's gonna be the hard time selling his business because any due diligence. They're gonna look at and say. Well who are your key you know key contributors to your company? Well it's, it's just Bob. You know there's nobody else. Damn Bob. Bob. Yeah. Damn him. Well and so you know if we're going to sell his company we need Bob to come with him.
0: Right? Yeah. <laughs> that that so so Bob's in a bad spot. Let me ask you guys this. Um, are, is there anything that you two with the 14 year mentor mentee relationship and all of your wisdom that you disagree on fundamentally when it comes to business stuff or are you guys pretty simpatico? It, oh, just just we, any that's doc, a good
2: question. No, we're gonna no, we we're gonna disagree on almost everything. Actually, okay. On how so to I get gonna, there? I was
1: gonna disagree on that. I was gonna say we were gonna agree on everything. <laughs> See, oh. okay. So you <laughs> no, disagree example, as to whether or not you agree. We on were everything.
2: talking earlier. Justin automatically knee jerk went to oh, let's form an LLC. Well, I don't agree. Uh-oh. I think we should have. I think we should have considered the corporation oh, because, for the
1: the service disabled veteran. Yeah, exactly
2: yeah. because it's a more familiar concept. Everybody knows
1: what a board of directors does yeah. and what officers do. Um, it is easier to sell to the SBA if you're trying to get your certification. Correct.
0: But now you're starting to agree with it. I'm right, looking for the right. tension here, Justin. I want, I want you to fight back and say, Roy, you've been my mentor, but now I am the master. It's like Luke and Yoda. Right. I don't know <laughs> if you want to be Yoda.
1: but um, So there's, there's no cut and dry answers in any of this. And you have to look at each circumstance. But uh, yeah, you know. Every every circumstance requires a fresh look. And you right. know, sometimes, you know, if we had more facts to your pattern, maybe we would- My agreed. facts are weak. Right. Well, so right. let me
0: ask you that then. So what is the, you know, kind of our, our wrap up, the craziest, funniest, weirdest business story that you guys have, whether it's startup, scaling, or exit, kind of what we'll call today the three stages of, of business life. Um, I know you have some interesting ones, uh, but between the two of you- um, and you'll probably disagree about which one it is. Uh, but what do you think? Pull something out of the oh, air. Oh,
1: man. Well, the employment realm, you know, yields so many crazy stories with, you know, what employees will do on their office computers.
2: Or what bosses <laughs> will do to their employees. Right.
1: So are these bosses your clients that you had to save from themselves? Former. Former. Yeah. oh goodness I mean maybe we can talk a little bit about just so you mentioned go into a business with an exit strategy if you're going into business with a partner you probably need to go into go into that business with a breakup strategy because you know the the number one thing that happens to a lot of our business or a lot of our clients is falling outs with partners yeah and it is, it is so common that two guys they can be best friends they can vacation together they can think that you know there's a story here though right? Uh,
2: this, this is happening generally,
1: uh, but over yes. and over again. Yeah, I mean, over and over again. So, best friends can might not be best business partners. You know, you know, some people are morning people, some people are afternoons. Some people like to write everything down. Other people just like to shoot from the hip and wheel and deal. And you know, and when it gets personal, if your own money in the business and yeah. your own livelihood and your own expectations for the future, and you know, and your partner starts golfing every day at two p.m. You can imagine that it creates a lot of friction and a lot of frustration. But
2: a a good partnership really is you want different people with different skill sets. Because if you
1: all have the same personality, it's not going to work. And they need to be committed to like a common resolution path. You know, like, you know, if, if if Roy and I were in business and we had different opinions on something and we brought different skills, but... I'm arguing vehemently for something he's arguing vehemently against, then we should, as a good collaborative process, come together and understand why we're disagreeing and make a decision that both of us could be satisfied with.
2: At the core of it, what makes business partnership successful is shared values and mutual respect. It actually has nothing to do with technical skills or anything like that. If... If one partner values the family time with his family more and the other one is determined to make as much money as possible regardless of the price that is paid by her family, then that's going to be a problem. So shared values, mutual respect, and I can tell you from personal experience that if you have those, you can prosper together. But again, partners have to be different from each other. They have to have different skill sets. In your example, we had the uh, service-disabled veteran who was good at business development, so uh, he could bring in the orders, and the other fellow was a tech uh, guy that was capable of executing on that. So that that sounded like actually complementary, good. good. Pretty so, good start. So, so some
0: to just to summarize kind of what you guys have said today. I mean, it's the things that I've taken away are first that you've got to put the the business horse before the business cart, and the business horse being your plan. You have to have some kind of, you know, cogent, understandable goal and plan for your business, regardless of whether it's startup, scaling, or exit. And then the other thing I took away, I'm probably missing some things. So so fill in. The other thing I took away is that. If you're going into business with someone, that it's got to be uh, based on mutual respect and you have to complement each other. Um, and that that's more important than technical skill uh, if you can do that in terms of longevity of the relationship, the business relationship. And do you guys have another, what other takeaways did I, did I miss from our summary today? Raising money
2: is difficult. Raising money is difficult. Getting Here's money- a new mantra. Okay. Keep. The overhead low. Keep the overhead low. Repeat.
0: That's a is that's a that's a common failing too. Keep all right. The overhead low.
1: Now the companies that get over leveraged and they borrow a lot of money and then they mm-hmm. get deep in with investors, they're the ones that are they're just going to have you know a yoke over their neck and it's going to be difficult to grow. But yes, bringing it all back to where we started with the service to disabled veteran owned company is you know you get the call at two a.m. you you know. They should do this themselves, but if not, you know, we can facilitate it. But they need to come in and understand what are they going to contribute to this business? Are they going to be present, you know, 40 hours a week, 60 hours so a week? So that's my third
0: takeaway, Justin, is I think you guys have said this over and over again in not even a roundabout way, but communication. So you've got to be complimentary and respect each other, but you have to communicate with your business partners, with your investors, with your lawyers, I assume. Uh, but you have to be a communicating business person. Um,
1: yeah, I think I think communication, but underlying shared values, shared expectations. You know, if the if the service disabled veteran thinks he's just going to golf all the time and let us use his his status, right, that could be a problem. If the tech guy says, okay, well, I'm going to develop it for six months, but then I'm going to go off and do something else. You know, if you if you come from a you know approach the relationship with the same expectations and values and understanding. And you know, that's gonna carry you through disputes because there will be disputes between right. partners. Right, right. Okay. Well, um, guys, thank
0: you for coming today. I, I hope you had fun. Um, I thought it was interesting. I enjoyed learning about this and I think our listeners did too. Um, thank you for listening today. You can download us from iTunes or the Google Play Store, wherever you
1: get your podcast.
0: You you thanks tell, for joining us.
1: You should tell everybody that was not an opportunity to invest in Dogville.
0: That was And I will, uh, my lawyers are telling me to add to the end of this episode, a disclaimer is not an opportunity to invest in either Dogville or vacuum cleaner, Bitcoin Um, company.com. Thanks very much, guys. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play so you never miss an episode. And to catch us on video, check out our website at blackletterstudios.com.